Hey, hi everybody. <clears throat> I think it's 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 funny that uh, things don't always go the way that they're supposed to, and it's it's the things you pray. We did a series a while back about like scary prayers or what was it? Dangerous, Dangerous prayers. Like I remember praying when I was younger um, to be poor that I had to be creative in life, or that I, I bring up sometimes um, that you don't look slick or refined. But then the reality of it is. It's a very frightening and awkward moment when you don't look slick and refined. But God answers prayers in time in the way that he should. But I'm Ed Pavlik. Um, I'll be your uh, teacher today. I'm an elder here at Riverwood. And those cards, um, talking about filling them out, we do go through those requests and pray for every single uh, one of them. Please do so if you have a need that needs met or something that's on your heart and burdening you. Write it down. Share that burden with somebody else. Share it with Christ. Share it with us so that we can uh, pray about it. Um, welcome to the Riverwood family and uh, to the guests that are here today. Um, today we're going to be in Philippians chapter 3, uh, verses 12 through 4, 1. Uh, there's Bibles in the back if you don't have your own. i um, not stuck on convention. Go off of my phone up here. You'll see other people doing it. If you have it phone, I won't think you're on uh, Facebook or whatever. Um, but, you know, because I go off my phone too. The mechanism doesn't matter, really, if we're seeking the truth. I mean, have you come here this morning to know the truth? Do you seek after it? Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a complex thing when you read in Scripture. Like these verses today, there's so much in them. It's just packed with information. The Bible can say such large amounts inside of so few words. It's absolutely incredible. And this truth-seeking, uh, it leads to a destination. I heard Ravi Zacharias say um, that this process doesn't lead to just a realization of something, not just some knowledge, but it brings you to a person. And that's the idea I want you to, to rest on today, amongst other things, resting on that when we understand, it's that we understand a person and the relationship that we can have in him with Christ. Uh, have you guys ever heard the song uh, um, In the Secret by Sonic Flood? I don't know how old it is. So I say, I want to know you more. And then the chorus is, I want to know you, I want to hear your voice, I want to know you more. And all of my studying uh, in preparation for today, that was stuck in my head, amongst other things, but just stuck in my head. I want to know you more. In 2 Timothy uh, chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, it says, All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And we here today know that that is true. And I pray it to be here. Um, so if you would like, join me in reading 3, 12 through 4, 1. Not that I have already obtained this, or that I've arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. All of us, then, who are mature, should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters. And just as you have us in a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. For as often... As I have told you before, and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. 
Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who, by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. Let's pray. Father, these are your words, and I am just up here reciting them. We ask that you open our hearts, our minds, give us ears to hear these words, to understand them, to come, to be wise, and then to implement them in our lives. Uh, help me, Lord, to be coherent in presenting these ideas, your scripture, and applying it to our lives. And this I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So verse 12, what's it say? Not that I have already obtained all this, or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. If you guys study it all, um, you'll know Paul likes athletics. It's, it's a theme for him. I don't know what kind of man he was. He's probably he's a guy, he's a sports fan. You see this, and he sees analogies in life and in sports in particular, that there's a physical struggle involved. And he makes note of it in the verse. And I think about times when I have struggled physically in terms of athletics. I was a football player, a wrestler, not a great one. My dad wishes I was a better one, probably. <laughs> I did track. Uh, and then uh, later in life, I would I'd come into the military and, and go through uh, different training experiences. I have one coming up here. I'll be gone for a couple weeks. Um, it's just, it's a, it's a reoccurrence in my life, the physical struggle, uh, the training. And at the end of every football game, or football practice, we would, being exhausted from however long we were practicing, you know, past dinner or whatever it was, we would have to go to an end of the field, and we'd be paired up with somebody that the coach decided was appropriate for us, and we'd have to pick them up and carry them to the other end of the field, from end zone to end zone. And I got paired with a, a big guy, I won't say his name, I still am acquainted with him, he's still a big guy, I had to carry him. Um, and about the halfway point, you don't think your legs are going to hold. It's just so big. And he's on your back and you all these pads and you're weighed down. It's so heavy. But you have a goal. You know where you're going. I'm staring at my feet. I'm in pain. But there's some place I'm headed to. Like in training. When I got to, to basic my first time, my first time in, in uh, struggling inside of the military. We'd go run every day, miles and miles and miles. And, and no joke, my first OIC officer in, in command, his name was Captain Sonic. <laughs> and Captain Sonic loved to run. Sonic on his name. We'd go out every morning. And they're like, oh, you look like you run. You're an A-group runner. I'm like, I'm not an A-group runner. But I was stuck in the A-group. And he would do three, five, seven miles every day as fast as Captain Sonic wanted to go. And we would. And you don't think you're going to make it. Look around and other people, they don't, they're not going to make it. But I did, every time. And it's focusing on the struggle that got me through it, knowing that this will end. It's terrible and hard and draining now, but it will end. But in the verse here, Paul says he hasn't obtained. What does that mean? Attained what? If it's a race... We've not finished it. Nobody has. 
there's people that you look around that in experience in, in your life that maybe they seem they have it all together, but they're in the race too. Uh, pastors, priests, elders, other worshipers, people that are examples in your life. The best you can think of. Picture that person in your head and they're still running the race just like you. There's people around you that haven't even started this race. There's a word that he uses here. Now press on. And in my studying, I found that it was, it's a Greek word. I, I tried reading through the Strong's Concordance, all those. I tried reading through it. It, it was a lot of stuff. But I, I found in a definition, the way it's used here is epistasis or epistasis. A Greek word meaning a stopping, halting like soldiers. Then an incursion, onset, rush, or pressure. Maybe I like it because it had to do with soldiers. It was a, it was a military thing. But Christ, or but Paul, knowing he hasn't obtained this, that he's in a race, has not arrived at his goal, but he presses on for that which Christ Jesus took hold of him. He presses on. He knows that there's a goal, and he's going to run. He's going to be in his race until he gets there. And that Christ took hold of him. And that idea, that I picture, I like, I like the, the graphic of it, that Christ grabs him. And how did Christ grab Paul? He struck him down blind on the road. Talk about being taken hold of. Grabbed and made new to begin a race. Something Paul thought he was already doing. Zealous for his church, his group, his religion. But now being shown something new, something different. And that demands a reaction for us. A call to Christ-likeness, to being taken hold of. When I think about that, even in my preparation for today, I begin to doubt. But it's, what am I doubting? Um, I was listening to John MacArthur talk about doubt. He says there, there's two kinds when it comes to this. That we can doubt God, which is uniformly bad. You know, doubting God is, is never a good thing. And your doubt is misplaced, if that's where it is. But when we doubt ourselves, it can lead to questions. This doubt sown in our hearts can help us to inquire, to reveal things that we haven't considered because we thought we had it together. But knowing that we don't, doubting ourselves can lead to those things or reveal cycles of sin in our lives. Maybe some of you can, can relate to this, something, a besetting sin that you go back to again and again and again. And you can't overcome it. And you won't be able to. You won't be able to, ever. But there's one who does. This doubt, this questioning, this searching and finding. Ask, seek, and knock. And who's there? It's Christ. He can reveal it. In verse 13, Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining forward what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Paul mentions three things here. Forgetting what is behind, striving for what is ahead, and pressing on towards the goal. And that first one, I settled on that for a while, the forgetting what is behind. The race began, but what was I doing beforehand? Can you command someone to forget? Can you undo 
what you've done. No. I myself have prayed, have pleaded to be rid of the images that flood my mind when I think about the life that I have led, a period of time in my life. And if you know me and I've told you about this, it's, it was something that I seek to avoid, a way that I conducted my day that was very damaging to myself and to the people around me. These actions, these things, they're like a flood. So how do you command someone not to? You don't. They're still there. But they're settled and done with because of a choice that I've made, a focus that I have going forward. Don't dwell on your past. Remember, you're a new creation. Not anything built in your former foundations, but one firm in Christ, what we just sang about. And the world will make appeals to the formative nature of their past and how it defines them. But we in Christ know different. The world will say, looking to where you've been, dwell on what's happening before. The answers lie there. Find it. Seek it. Sit on it. But we have something different, something apart from those instructions. Let go of it. It's settled. It's done. We have a new path, a goal in mind, Christ's goal. And the two realities are mutually exclusive. They both cannot be. And so we look to the path that we have chosen. These worldly claims seem to indicate that Christ has not changed you when we look at, back at ourselves and that doubt seeps in. But we're rooted in Christ and that doubt helps us search. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. Isaiah 43.18 and 19. Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do not perceive it. I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. They were talking about Israelites and, and Babylon there, but still so relevant to even what we're talking about here. The coherence of Scripture I fall so far short of understanding the totality of it. It's absolutely incredible to see the lines of logic drawn all throughout the Bible. As far as the east is from the west, that's how far Christ has removed our sin from ourselves and upon himself. Um, even King David, Israel's greatest king, was covetous, an adulterer, a murderer. But he prayed boldly, knowing he was a sinner. Forgive me. Thinking about himself, knowing what he'd done. But saying it's done, it's settled, forgive, be done, it's paid. But then the inverse is also true. Your successes, they're behind you too. The things you claimed as gain. We just read about how Paul, he was a big deal, called himself a Hebrew of Hebrews. I mean that, he had the means the justification in the world's eyes to say, I'm righteous, I'm it, I'm there. But they're behind him too. They're formative, your failures and your successes. But just like everything that's come before this decision point, it's behind you now. You've begun a race, a process, a goal. And we strain. Just like my examples in, in training, in football, maybe you have yours in some athletic experience. When you look back and you remember the straining and how it brought you well, ultimately closer to a goal. 
That too is what we do in our spiritual lives. It's being disciplined every day, going into the word, seeking to understand God, understand what he has given for you to understand, and then pressing on again. He says it. Press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. A whole lot of life happened before you started this race, but the decision to follow someone, to follow Christ, that led you to begin. If you've just begun the race, these memories, they might be fresh, uh, and they're hard to forget. And we might look to someone who's been running for a long time, and it's easier for them to forget um, what happened before the race. But all this in, in context, look at the path ahead of you. Look at the works given to you shown for his glory, God's glory, for you to perform, look to the hope at the end that salvation has been given to you and all of it is laid out in a path before you. And you need simply run straight forward, eyes fixed on Christ. He foreknew you. Ephesians 2, verse 10. This is the King James Version. I like the, 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 the poetry of it. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. God knows your path. When you started, he knew what you were going to do. Then you strain forward. We can't see our own futures, but we lean into the unknown, trusting on his promises. In Psalm 119, it says, Your word is a lamp unto my feet, a light into my path. I can remember when I was younger, running uh, at night. This is at my great uncle Gary and Zelma's. Gary Zelma's running at night. And... I could see a light around the edge of the house. And I know from being there in the day, and it's bad equivocation, but I, I, I knew there was nothing there. So I'm running, and it's like you're, you're, you're light, you're fast, you're, but it's, you're still stepping in the dark. Like, I have no idea. I can't even perceive what's right in front of me. But I have a goal. I know where I'm going, and that's all I'm thinking about. What I step on, what's around me. It's through this striving, this running, that we have a clear goal in Christ. And that end is our hope. And so think again about the people that are around you, those who don't know Christ, how they grumble and groan about their current situations. They'll say that Friday can't come soon enough. I'll be happy when I retire. Oh, it's Monday again. Their eyes are just fixed on the wrong things, fixed on themselves. And we can fall into those things as well, backsliding. And we'll doubt. In considering this, I, I thought about the Lord's Prayer. And how it says, give us this day our daily bread. That in its moment, in his time, Christ foreknew this. That we would have joy in our struggling. Not your bread for Friday or your bread for 40 years from now. That this pervasive and abiding sense of well-being, this joy, it cannot be interrupted by circumstance. In verse 15, All of us then, who are mature, should take such view of things. And if at some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Some of you are parents. 
And as parents, we have frustrations in observing how our children cannot think past what is happening right now and in front of them. We say, be more mature. We explain to them that there's more to come, that there's a metaphysical realization that something happens after right now. And they can get prepared for it. They can be ready for it to happen. In my own house, we've been discussing this maturity with my old two, uh, two oldest boys. In studying for this message, I found that there was such clarity in this idea that what I saw in them, this immaturity, was this exact thing, the inability to see past what is happening right in front of them. And we mark maturity by seeing what is going to happen or the potential and the ability to plan. So we read that the mark of maturity is this realization and outworking of these three things. Be mature, forget what's happened, strive toward the end, move towards your goal, press on. The back half of verse 15 um, I think it can, you can do its own sermon. You can break out individual verses into five-hour segments if you, if you really want. But it's, it comes down to don't major in the minors. If on some point you think differently, then God will make that clear to you. So we're going to disagree. Paul gives these instructions to us to the church at Philippi. The first church, we brought that up last week. First European church. But when we disagree that we pray about it, we consider it amongst believers, but we don't let it break relationship with one another. That God, too, will make this clear to you. Come together, study, pray, and consider it as Christians. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. And Paul just told it we've attained. This thing that he does know, forgetting, striving, pressing on. I didn't have a good way to bring in uh, that there are no retired Christians. I really like that, that quote. But in some loose context, we know that it's not over yet. That we're involved in a process. A stepped approach to an end goal. Which is the resurrection. And in verse 17, we join together in following my example, brothers and sisters, and just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. I don't, I don't know why when, when I read this, I think of the song, I think it's 10th Avenue North, and, and they sing in the song Struggle, Hallelujah, we are free to struggle. We're not struggling to be free. These people that we read, and 17, have for a model. They're out there struggling too. And down into verse 18, For as often as I have told you before, and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. That there are people out there, the ones that we can take a short lesson from, that are slaves to their appetites and indulgence. And I wouldn't want a person to, to look at creation, though broken as it is, and say that it's uniformly evil. It's, it's agnosticism, right? We don't say the world is evil, but it is broken. But it was given for us so that we could enjoy it, be in relationship with God. 
not to be worshipped. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and they glory in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. The tears part. That Paul, writing this, says he's weeping for these people. We know that becoming Christian is not floating in niceties, but it's a line drawn and one that marks a point of physical exertion, straining, pushing, struggling from that decision point. And it's all the better. You're all the more for it. But that weight can get us down. Now society is going to say this inversion of what we know to be true, uh, what Satan has manipulated in the truth that we've been given, that you can worship yourself. You can be focused on me. You can look at what's around you and say, that's worthy of praise. I've done well. I've built this. Um, my biggest lesson is the day I realized that I worshiped my own children, that my day revolved around them. That decision comes with weight when you know the truth, that he weeps for these people, the people whose gods are their stomachs, whose glory is in their shame. They live as enemies of the cross of Christ. That's a lot of burden to bear, to know that people will perish. But it's a weight that Christ takes off of us. You don't have to bear it alone. 1 Timothy 1.15 says, Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. And yet Paul still weeps for these people, being the foremost sinner. He knows that destruction, the realization of his past, and the focus forward, he knows that the destruction is the opposite of salvation. He knows what's in store for them. It has been revealed to him. That weight, that knowledge that Christ carries for you, hand it over. Be unburdened. Don't be defined by it. You can think about Christians being, why are you so down all the time? Where is your joy? Well, it can be hard to keep your head up when knowing that people will perish around you. And I'll say it again later, but what is the gospel without a warning? And it is in the message here. Their destiny is destruction. And as much as it's a warning to them, it's a call to us to stay focused on the thing that we decided to focus on, to run the race that we were meant to run. Don't be a malcontent or a Debbie Downer, but express that joy. Because our joy, like this, our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who, by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. We are citizens of another place. We're not from here. Have you ever had a, a time or a moment where you feel like you didn't fit in? And reading this, I, I thought about my own experience. And it's increasingly so that I find a, a misplaced attitude trying to go back to a friend group, a situation, something you used to be a part of, 
where the words, the culture, the food even, I don't know. It just wasn't the same because I'm different now. The way people talk that's off-putting that didn't used to be or how someone lives that bugs you a little now makes you ask what's different about them or what's different about me. It's foreign to you now because our residence is a heavenly one. It's not one on earth. You made a decision and that decision came with consequences. It came with realization, the knowledge of Christ. It came with all that weight. You know you're not from here and you pray to go home. What did Paul say? For me to live is Christ, to die is gain. I'm here to do his work. But I'm not from here and I'm going home. When you travel to a place at first, it can be intriguing. But eventually the reality sets in that I just want to go home. Christ will come. He will transform our lowly bodies so that they'll be like his glorious body. That power is his. And there's joy there. Such joy in the realization. And like it must, and it always does, it ends with the gospel. We come to the cross. That Christ came, suffered, died, raised himself, from the dead to save you. From what? From death, eternal death, a separation from God. Going back to that weight. I saw a video recently. Um, it was uh, Penn Jillette. You guys know who Penn Jillette is? He's like Pan and Teller. It's an older video. It's uh, You can look it up. It's Penn Jillette and, and the Gift of a Bible. And he said something in a different way that I've already heard, actually, from my own dad in a message from years ago. Uh, he makes the, the analogy that knowing this truth, having that weight on you, those tears on Paul's face, that it's a call to action to something, to proselytize, to spread the word, to say it to everybody. And I only bring up him because he says something that really hit, hit home for me. He made it like a truck. Like a, you know a truck's coming towards somebody. And you know how long would you wait for them denying there's a truck coming to push them out of the way? The one where my dad told, there's like a pool. And there's kids. And the pool's acid. And this is not a great way. Uh, I'm not doing it justice. But what wouldn't you do? If you knew the pool was acid, it's not nice, cool, crystal water. And these kids are running forward, not understanding what it really is because it looks nice. What wouldn't you do to stop them? But the thing that Penn Jillette says is how much would you have to hate someone to not tell them they're going to get hit by a truck? And that, I had to stop. I was paused by it. Because what is the gospel without a warning? To be convicted by something, it's a powerful experience. And I don't mean to be a Debbie Downer. 
but there's weight with this knowledge. And how are you going to carry it out of here? You're told to be joyous. Be joy, genuine joy. How can we be happy in it? Because we know that there is a God in heaven who wipe away every tear. That he is sovereign and in control in every moment and every aspect of your life. We, in a really messy way, try to compare God to so many things. I hear in this message, try to compare God to so much stuff. He is incomprehensibly powerful and in control. You can't compare him to anything. We even picture God like some, like a like a bearded old man, like a like a Zeus kind of person or something. You can't compare him to anything. And he is mighty to save you and them. He doesn't want anyone to perish. So be joyous in that truth. Carry it out of here, knowing that. The world needs to hear the message that you know. You know it. Forget what was behind you. Strive, struggle, strain towards the goal. Press on because you know the end is in sight. And in every moment and every interaction, let the gospel bleed into your conversation. Be called out to be awkward. Like, why are you bringing that up right now? It's like, because I know something and it's changed me so much. Paul, the foremost of sinners, look what happened to him. He changed so much. It's absolutely incredible. Christ came. He suffered. He died. Raised himself to save you. From what? From death. Eternal death. The second death. A separation from Him. Pray with me now. Father, we ask that You, even if we don't understand, would reveal Your truth to us. Maybe we don't get certain parts or we don't agree on certain things, but we know we have instruction. We have your word to rely on. Help us long after it. Desire it. Help us to be free to struggle. To know you more. To make an appeal to the people we encounter every day. To be steadfast in unity not in uniformity. We don't hate people. We despise the sin in our lives and in others' lives. And if that is true, then we are called to call it out. Help us, Lord, to be bold for you. That is the one place that our pride can lie. To be proud of our faith in you. Convict our hearts and minds, Lord. I ask this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, my Lord, my Savior, our Lord, our Savior. Amen.